I want to give you just a brief uh, set of snapshots of what the district, the North Central does, district does, uh, in behalf of the churches and so forth, led by Tom Mao, our district superintendent. We provide courses, seminars, opportunities at church health, so that when we face the arrows of the devil, we withstand them strong and not divided. We provide church-based training so that our churches, pastors, laymen, pastors, preparing pastors together can be taught prior to seminary or sometimes in lieu of seminary. We provide church planting opportunities. Any given year we have about 50 church plants going on throughout the district, a very thriving church planting movement with the direction of Bob Nundorp and Dan Moose. We provide placement so that when you as a church, a congregation, need a pastor of a given specific area of ministry, you can call us on us and we can connect with you network around the country to find pastors that might fit your given need. And credentialing, which is kind of a standardized, well, quality control. We're talking about pastors. We want them to not only be equipped, but we want them to be uh, biblical in their understanding of ministry. We want to provide that for you, a, a testing ground, to make sure that they stay on track with God's plan for your church and the Word of God. And then we have segmented ministries, youth ministries, singles ministries, women's ministries, men's ministries. And then, last but certainly not least, we have pastoral care. I came on the scene uh, when there wasn't a pastoral care department here in this district just uh, four years ago, and Dean Johnson, the former superintendent, stepped from that position into the directorship, and he's given great leadership to pastors. Do you know that when surveyed, pastors, uh, well, 70% say that they are very tired all the time and also very lonely. So taking that off a survey, we began to develop a means of showing pastors and giving them permission to rest. And so one of the things we do, my wife and I, Lois and I, and by the way, she'd love to be with you, but she's taking care of three of her grandchildren right now. And uh, when she's not doing that, her father's been quite ill, and so we're feeling the effects of what we call the sandwich generation. Uh, old aging parents and young grandchildren. But anyway, Lois would love to be here. But she's at my side at most every Sabbath retreat where we take pastors and now lay leadership as well and, and teach them and give them permission to rest. I'll say more about that later. And then we provide a network friends to pastors and wave the banner of friendships because we don't want our pastors like anyone. We don't want anyone to get isolated. That is when Satan works on them the hardest and can do a variety of tricks on their minds and otherwise. So, pastoral care. I would say regarding your churches, I'm gradually getting to know you as a congregation, especially through your pastors, that you're doing a good job of caring for your pastors. I think you might be a model church in terms of providing sabbaticals, in terms of allowing your pastors to go on retreat. In fact, we're going to have a Sabbath retreat with your staff and elders coming up in August. 
I believe you're doing a great job from what I can tell. And the fruit of it is evident as you have uh, longevity of your pastoral staff. That's very important. So, But my role and the role of our team in pastoral care is to help pastors survive and thrive, enjoy the ministry. And one of the avenues through which we do this is the topic of rest. And of course, I've written a book on it, and about 25 years of journey and about two and a half years of writing. And I'm glad uh, it's now available to you. And by the way, if uh, you fall asleep during this message, I don't think you will, but if, if you should, uh, the requirement is then you have to buy a book and read chapter 13. So that's the requirement. So you won't fall asleep because you don't want to pay $15 for a book. By the way, the proceeds go to pastoral care within the district. But everybody's tired, right? I mean, aren't we complaining about that constantly? Oh, moron. Oh, I can't deal with another day of work. Or these children. Or something else. We're wiped out. We feel tired. And I believe it's not a matter just of needing a nap, which is necessary. Sleep is a part of the relief of fatigue. But I believe that what we need is a deep, soothing kind of rest that isn't getting into the crevices of our souls. And I go back to one of the most basic texts that perhaps, if you've memorized Scripture, probably the first thing was the Lord's Prayer and the next thing was the 23rd Psalm. But I've found that even though people have it in memory, and myself included, we don't necessarily live by the 23rd Psalm written by David under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We live often by what's called a workaholics 23rd Psalm, and you have a copy of it in your uh, worship folder there if you want to take out those notes. I think it's going to be shown behind you. But this fellow who I've never met, Edward Vesesic, has written the Workaholics 23rd Psalm. Now, um, as I read it, wise, you may jab your husband or someone else. I, I want you to underline what pertains to you. Uh, and maybe if there are any teenagers uh, in the crowd, you can help your parents out at this point in time. You may indicate, uh, that's you, Dad, uh, that's you, Mom. But listen to this. The Lord is my foreman. I shall not rest. He makes me mow down the green pastures. He leads me to generators beside rapid waters. He wears out my soul. He shoves me to conferences for my schedule's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of relaxation, I fear no chance of rest. For my feelings of guilt, they haunt me. Thou dost prepare a work table before me in the presence of my comrades. Thou hast filled my mind with worry. My workload overflows. Surely busyness and pressure will follow me all the days of my life. And most of all, I will run to and fro in the house of the Lord forever. Again, you might just take a moment to circle what you need to think about here. And like I said before, there's the 23rd Psalm that we have often recited. We've heard it again and again, but it's not the psalm we live by. We live by this one. And you see, when David wrote the 23rd Psalm, the original, he was a man who first learned about sheep. He found out about sheep, first of all. And Psalm 
78 reads as follows, the closing verses, it says of David, he chose David, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Now, David knew sheep before he knew and led people. There must be something that's transferable about understanding sheep that gives you some competence in working with people. In fact, it might be that God is telling us that we are sheep. After all, this caricature of sheep is used throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament, And we're called sheep more than any other kind of creature other than human beings. So there must be something about the characteristics of sheep that are like human characteristics and God's people. Well, now if the Lord makes or calls me a sheep, that must be that I'm a sheep. It's all right to do that during the sermon. Anybody do better? I think he probably... Anyway, uh, anytime you feel like a sheep, you may... So go right ahead. Go right ahead. Anytime, you know, you got, it, it's gotten into your soul and you understand. But the Lord is our shepherd that makes us very good. We got that down. Now, <clears throat> he didn't do our egos a whole lot of good by calling us sheep, right? I mean... Uh, I would like to be, you know, a tiger, a lion, or something else. Sheep are rather defenseless animals. No meat-shredding teeth. No flesh-tearing claws. They're not fast. They're not particularly bright. You know, and I don't know of any, any mascot of any team that has a lamb. You know, for... You know, I mean, they're the, the tigers, the Detroit tigers, the Minnesota timberwolves, and the... Uh, you know, you've got the lions and you've got the panthers and all these. And you, there is one team. There is the Rams, St. Louis Rams. You've heard of the Rams, but you've never heard of the Lambs taking the field. And imagine the score. Lions and the Lambs meet today. <laughs> I mean, not, not a good outcome. Not a good outcome. And what is the Lord telling us when he calls us sheep? Or lambs. That we are very dependent. Without him, we're roadkill. You know? Without him, we're dead meat. Alright? He doesn't soothe our... He doesn't pet our egos by calling us sheep. But he's telling us that we're very dependent creatures on him. Without him, we're lost. Without him... That's who we are. It's little lambs. Barely fit in a bucket. Now we have to get that straight as we look at the 23rd Psalm. And get into our soul to ministry of rest. Rest. And just what are we? Who are we? We're dead meat. We're roadkill. Without Him, the Lord Almighty. Sheep are dependent creatures, all right. And we need to go to fellowship school. You've never heard of that, have you? Fellowship school. You've got fellowship. You've got leadership. 
you've got discipleship, but you know what? Dogs go to obedience school, but sheep go to fellowship school. And don't pick a leader ever who doesn't know how to follow. That's a prerequisite to leading. It's learning how to follow. And that's what the 23rd Psalm is, following Him. Wow. In order, in order to experience true rest, you must receive three ingredients. Three ingredients provided in this great psalm. Three ingredients that come from the Good Shepherd. The first ingredient is satisfaction. We all seek satisfaction from something or someone. I personally could not rest until I discovered the Lord is my satisfaction. The psalm reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Some years ago when I was starting out ministry and planting a church, and I was about six or seven years into it, and my tongue was hanging out because of all the the distractions, all the challenges that had been through, and I, and I was wore out. And, and this older gentleman came alongside of me. His name is Tom. And we are still good friends of this day. About 15 years of ministry, parachurch ministry. Uh, so he had experience beyond me, and, and he'd been through a number of seasons of life that I hadn't seen yet. But anyway, he asked if I could, or I would, do a Bible study with him. Hmm, Bible study, hmm. Oh, I've been to seminary. I know how to study the Bible. I'm a pastor. I do sermons every week. Bible study. I, yeah, I could do that with you if you really want that. You know? and besides, I'm going to start my doctor of ministries program pretty soon. Yeah, Bible study. I can do that. Yeah. And, and so he opened to the 23rd Psalm, and I, this is an insult to my uh, uh, insult to my intelligence. I've been there's a memorized this in fourth grade. You know. What are you doing there, Tom? I mean, and he began to read, and he said, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not be a want in want." And he stopped. And I thought in my heart, "My, well, that's good. You read that well. Now, come on. Now, let's go on to the next. <laughs> let's move right along there now." And he didn't. He was quiet. What's going on here? And suddenly I, I got the message, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was seeking satisfaction elsewhere. Through my family, through my church, you know, your job. Looking for satisfaction here and there. And here I'd been to school, to seminary. I called of God and, and I had a deep relationship to the Lord. But I was seeking satisfaction in other places and things than the Lord himself. No wonder I was restless. No wonder you're restless if you're seeking satisfaction outside of Him. Now note how the Lord satisfies in all this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Ever been really ill? That season of life, I became very ill for a period of time with mono going into hepatitis. Something like that. But he made me lie down. That's that we might be satisfied in him and him alone. And he leads me beside quiet waters, not stagnant pools, nor rushing, flowing waters, not things that are bad for us, stagnant, nor things that are too challenging for us. But he leads us just down the right 
paths and places to the right waters. And he restores my soul. He mends. We live in a throwaway society. Damaged goods. Do you feel like damaged goods because of your life experiences? Maybe your childhood, maybe your family, whatever else. You feel damaged. And, and the world throws you out. Get out of here. We don't have a place for you. You're scarred. You're bruised. You're wounded. You're wrecked. Not the Lord, though. He mends. That's what the word means. He, he, he restores. It's beginning with the inside, the soul. Isn't that good? Ponder and think about that. And he guides me down right paths, down paths of righteousness that are good for me. That's satisfaction. And all for his name's sake. Not for my sake, but for his. And I named the book, For God's Sake Rest, because rest is something that God enjoys when we do it. He doesn't just enjoy you when you work, but he enjoys you when you rest. It's a pleasure to him to see you at rest, to get that soothing rest in your soul. It gives him joy. You see, satisfaction comes as we live for someone bigger than ourselves. Hmm. I assume that you know Jesus is your Savior. Probably so. But you know Jesus as your shepherd, as your good shepherd. You know him as your satisfier, the one who satisfies you. You see, you can't rest without the satisfaction the Good Shepherd provides. Are you being satisfied in Him? The second ingredient is that of security. Something that has become a higher priority in our culture since 911. We hear the words homeland security. Is everything secure and tested and freeing us from danger? I could not rest until I discovered that the Lord was my security. Verses 4 and 5 are a picture of security in the midst of danger. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Regarding security, we have three, port three portraits here of security. The first is walking in the midst of danger. That word walk is significant. It doesn't say stop and stammer and dabble. Either I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are dangerous places for sheep. There are rocks and crevices and foliage there that lions and tigers can hide behind and leap out and jump all over us. But with him we, we walk through. We don't dabble in anything that's bad for us. Are you dabbling in anything that's harmful for you? You've stopped in a valley of death. Nor does he say run like we're panicked. Often the lion roars and that causes the sheep to run and scatter and then he gets them on the chase as he flushes them out. No, don't panic in the midst of the valley of death nor dabble with deadly things. Portrait of security. We walk with him even though 
may be surrounded by deadly things. Don't dabble, don't run. Next is a matter of instruments of comfort and confrontation. There's the rod. It's a blessing to know that the Lord will use the rod and the wolves and tigers out there as our good shepherd. Also, it's a comfort to know that he'll use it on the bully sheep. Once in a while, a bully sheep shows up at church. Eh? It's a discipline process. But it's also know that he'll use, a comfort to know he'll use it on me when I need it, when you need it. The rod. And then the staff used with the crook on the end of it to lift out a lamb that has gone astray and found its way in the crevice or crack between the rocks. Instruments of comfort and confrontation. Thirdly, there is the portrait of dining. Dining in the presence of enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, high plateaus in the mountains where they climb and ascend and they come to a high plateau are often called tables by old-time shepherds because they're flat and level and green grass is provided like an entree on a table. And they carry, they lead the sheep up to the greener grasses in the midst of summer heat and there they find great dining. But there's security there knowing that the shepherd is beside them. But isn't it interesting that it says, in the midst of your enemies, in the presence of enemies, there they eat on the high plateau with the shepherd, close to the shepherd, but nonetheless there are carnivorous animals, carnivores there, would like to dine on the sheep. As long as they're with the shepherd, they're all right. But bringing this to terms in our situation, you know, uh, the broader use of a table, place to eat and dine, and usually a relaxing place, we think of it. Imagine yourself going out for supper, say with your wife if you're married, or your husband you're married, or your boyfriend, girlfriend, and, uh, or whatever else, or some friends, family. And you're going out to relax for, for some uh, fine dining. And you go there, and you're seated by your hostess, and you pull the chair and you seat yourself and other family members and you're given a menu and you begin to look at the menu and you look over the top of the menu and there uh, is someone that represents an enemy to you. Maybe it's an ex-boss, an ex-employer. Maybe it's an ex-employee. Maybe it's an ex-wife, husband or boyfriend or something. Someone that represents an enemy and your gut just turns into knots the table is no longer a place of relaxation ever had such a thing ever been you know where you want to relax and then someone who disturbs your inner peace is there isn't it interesting to note that Jesus dined with the betrayer for three years Judas himself and he could sleep and he could be relaxed knowing that Judas would betray him. The enemy was at his doorstep all the time because the Lord was so secure and he wants that same security in him to be in you and me. And the key is noting who's with you. Who is it that's with you? Wherever you are, that's security. 
Who's in the boat with you? Who's in the field with you? Who's in the valley with you? Who's dining with you? It is the Lord himself who brings you security. No one else. You know Jesus as your Savior, but you know him as your shepherd and security. Think about it this day. Maybe it's time to accept him as your shepherd who makes you secure. I look again and find there's an ingredient of success as well. The Lord is my shepherd who gives me my success. You may say, well, Pastor, why do you, how, do you get shep, uh, uh, how do you get success out of this passage? Well, I look here and it says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this phrase... My cup overflows sounds like something that's abundant, overflowing, and successful. But let's go back a phrase. You anoint my head with oil. Oil in our day and age, especially with, uh, you know, 329 a gallon or whatever it is today. I mean, oil, we, or some of us, watch the oil prices. To this day, it's a commodity that, is, if you strike oil... You're apt to have wealth. Well, you go back in old times, they had other kinds of oil. You have other oil used on sheep like olive oil. That would be used and be very precious stuff. It would have an odor, yes, but it would protect the sheep uh, from uh, pests of various kinds, insects. And it would protect their wound. It put that for healing processes and so forth. And to this day, some places use olive oil as a healing agent as well. But you see, oil had one use that was really precious, really special. Because when it came time to anoint a king or priest, they anointed them with oil as they went into their office, as they went into their place and position of service. Anointing with oil. You see, that was representative of something far more than health or keeping keeping insects off of a king. No, it represented the Holy Spirit. Oil has represented the Holy Spirit throughout biblical times. And it represented you'd struck oil in your relationship with God. And that's the broader understanding or meaning. You anoint my head with oil, meaning that I have the Holy Spirit Spirit as a king or a priest and now in the New Testament every believer has the Holy Spirit you can strike it rich where it counts in your relationship with God that's success not what you have in your bank but what you have in your heart in terms of your relationship with Him because that doesn't fade it goes with you into the next eternal life wow the Lord is my success and chief, briefly to point out is, yes, it's striking oil in relationship with God, knowing God. I've given you some verses. For greater detail, you can turn to that chapter in the book. But Jeremiah, 20, Jeremiah 9 talks about uh, what knowing the Lord... This is one thing you can boast about. Knowing the Lord, that you are loved by Him, that's success. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Literally, 
Surely goodness and love will pursue me. Pursue me. I can't get away from His love wherever I turn. There it is. As I view the clouds, as I view mankind, as I turn to Him, His goodness is pursuing, is chasing me. That's success. You know Him. And His goodness is pursuing after you wherever you turn. And then David knew where he was going. He said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David had a little tabernacle, half of which he couldn't enter because he wasn't a priest. So I don't think he's talking about house of the Lord there, the tabernacle, nor I don't think he was talking about the temple because he couldn't build it. I think what he was no doubt talking about, especially when it says live in the house of the Lord forever, is heaven. He knew where he was going. He was thinking of a heavenly house. So success is striking oil in your relationship with God, which means that you know Him. You experience His love in your life, and you know where you're going. That is success that can't be tarnished or destroyed. We come back to the questions. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But have you accepted him as your safe, as your shepherd who gives you satisfaction, security, and success? I want you to think about that. And pray in a few moments. Say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd, satisfaction, security, success. I want that peace in my inner life. But maybe I'm assuming way too much that you've sat here at church today, maybe for your first time, maybe your 50th or 15th year. Maybe I've assumed too much and you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior and your shepherd and your all. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for any and all that would make you what is necessary in their life for peace, satisfaction, security and success. But I pray for especially for those who may not know you as Savior. If this is you, simply say, Jesus, you who are my shepherd need to be my Savior. Come into my life. Give me eternal life. I want all of you. I want this kind of success, security, and satisfaction.